0: Hey folks, welcome to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, and I am here today with a special bonus episode. I am chatting with Teen Titans Academy writer Tim Sheridan about the book, about Future State, about his transition from animation to comics. It's a really fun conversation, and I am super excited about Teen Titans Academy as an ongoing... I've had the chance to read number one and prep for this interview, and it's fantastic. I was a huge proponent of the Future State, Teen Titans, and Shazam books that Tim wrote... And I am incredibly excited to see what he's going to do with the Teen Titans over the next few months. So enjoy this chat and we shall return on Wednesday with our review of the third week of Future State Titles. So stay tuned. Thanks. So I want to start off with something. So I, I have this theory that, that many have called bullshit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there now to you, which is that <laughs> the Teen Titans are the most important characters in the DC universe. That what huh. separates the DC universe from other comic and just other shared universes is the idea of legacy and the Teen Titans are the living embodiment of that legacy but oftentimes the legacy has been reactive this is the first time I remember the Titans really being a proactive organization where they are they are saying we are responsible for the youth of the DC universe and we're going to do what we can to ensure that the youth are prepared for what's coming how important to you well let me back up a little bit where do you see the Teen Titans falling into the in the d c hierarchy, and what was it about this moment that seemed like the right time to give them a more proactive approach
1: you know I, I, first of all that's a really smart analysis. I mean when you look at Teen Titans and you you know when you think about characters like uh, Dick Grayson and donna troy i mean you're you're talking about legacy right out the gate. And I think that, um, that as, uh, uh, you know, even from its, you know, humble beginnings as a team of sidekicks, you know, it's, it's, um, that, that is what, what has always been at the core or what should have always been. It's kind of what, what generated the, 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 the teen Titans. So, yeah, I mean, for me, that is, I I don't know that I ever put as fine a point on it as you just did when I was growing up, you know, I, I Mm -hmm. think that, that, I just always, you know, I came, I came to DC, my gateway drug was Batman. And so, um, I, um, I, I came in and, and not just Batman, but Robbins, you know, I was just crazy about the Robbins and I'm old enough that I came in, in the middle of the Jason Todd controversies at, when, you know, mm-hmm. Tim Drake was starting to become a thing. And I know, called my phone part, number. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I did. I remember. No, actually, you know what? I didn't call it. I didn't call it because my parents wouldn't let me.
0: But I, I, I was allowed to, to call him. one time.
1: <laughs> well, then it's you. You're responsible.
0: Like I voted. Um, to, I voted to keep him. I'm just saying. Just saying. Really?
1: Okay. Good. I, I would yes. have voted to kill him because I, I was like six, man. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. Too, I was a young kid, but I was. I was dark. I. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> kill him. You know, even then. Which you know anybody who's read the future state books that you know knows that you know, I'm like yeah let's 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 see what let's see what happens when we kill people just because I love big consequences you know mm-hmm. and um, and that that really goes along with with uh, with what you're talking about in terms of you know legacy I mean legacy is in many ways a form of big consequences especially for these characters in in the DC universe um, you know who Dick Grayson is who who uh, who Donna is and. And um, you know, uh, you know these these things are 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 you, t- t- you know just tied inextricably to the the, the 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 greater DC universe. So I think, and I'm not just to drill down on those two characters, but you know, I mean, there is a huge legacy behind the the new Teen Titans, the the Wolfman Perez, you know, Titans. And uh, you know, I, I wish that I had come in and said. You got to let me use, you know, the the OG New Teen Titans. But it was Mike Cotton, you know, my editor, who said, hey, "I think we're going to get to use the 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 OG Titans." And I said, "Oh, yes, please, please," because, you know, I want, I I love the idea that they are aging like me, <laughs> like all of us. They. <laughs> You know, we don't have to necessarily see it. We don't know have to know how much time has passed necessarily. But the fact is, and this goes right along with sort of legacy, the idea of legacy, you know, what we what we become and what we leave behind, what what comes what 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 we leave after us, especially after all the crazy kinds of events and stories that these characters have been through, for them to stop and take a moment to say, you know, not look backwards and not just be rooted you know, in the present, putting out fires, which is what these characters tend to do, but to make a plan and to say, how can we influence the future, you know, from from our our vantage point in, in the present? What can we do? And it goes right to the Teen Titans and sort of their inherent, I believe, good-hearted approach to heroism, super heroism, that they would think we should give back we should send the elevator back down for the next generation of Titans. How do we do that? And um, and that was you know that was sort of how the whole thing happened. And I think it 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 was just the right time, uh, finally. You know, I know um, you know Mike came to me and he said, "What do you think about Teen Titans Academy?" And I said, "Well, let me tell you what I think about it. <laughs> and here's a here's a pitch. Here's how I see it working." And um, I was just so fortunate when. When I said, you know, in order for this to work, I need to bring in a bunch of new kids. So we have a lot of characters. We have the OG Titans, who are the faculty at the academy. We have the, the essentially the senior class, which are the, the most recent group of, of Titans or r- groups of Titans. And then we've got the freshmen. And I said, look, I've have to, I'm going to have to create some new faces to bring in, in the door. And Mike was like, great, let's do it. You know, I always expected that I was going to meet some kind of, you know, stumbling blocks there. I mean, you know, it's the DC universe. You know, you don't just you don't feel like you just get to walk in and and put a big stamp and say, here's a bunch of new faces that you've never met before. But, they, you know, I think everybody got that, you know, in order to sell the idea of the new generation and training the next generation of kids, we're going to have to do that. So we get to meet a lot of fun. So, you know, it's a balancing act. We got a lot of great, you know, old favorites um you know seen in a different context we see them in a different role we see their priorities are a little bit different now because of where they are in their lives and the mission that they've taken on here at the school and then we get all these great uh new kids who are just on the just at the beginning we're just 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 stepping taking their first steps into this 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 great big multiverse so
0: yeah <laughs> whatever the term du jour is right um <laughs>
1: But So I, you
0: know, I do want to talk about some of the new kids, but before I get to that, I want to talk about two characters that you brought in that are not part of the recent Teen Titans books and are not classic characters, but are characters from different eras across DC. One of those is Bunker, who is a personal favorite of mine. I know that that New 52 Teen Titans run doesn't have a ton of great stuff in it, but but Bunker was an A-plus addition to that team, As and I love Jakeem Thunder as a character. And so... Bringing those two in is, is so inspired. Was that something that you brought to the table, or were those characters that editorial said, "Hey, what would you think
1: about adding these folks into the uh, into the lineup?" You know, it, it actually it started when we were working on Future State and my Justice League team that I was assembling my 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 you know Shazam's Justice League out of Detroit. Um, I had, I mean, I pitched everything you know, and it was sort of like, you know, a lot of people I couldn't use because they were being used in different ways. And the tiny, whiny nature of the Future State event meant it became very difficult to say, well, this character is here at this time, and then they're doing this at this other time. And and so there was a huge, huge sort of negotiation that had to happen in terms of who we could use. And I, um, but I felt really strongly, you know, I am a member of the LGBTQ community. And I said, you know, I really want to get some, you know, representation in, uh, in the league. And, um, and I, and I just, I just love Bunker. Um, but I wasn't the one who said Bunker. It was, um, it was Cotton. Cotton said, what do you think about Bunker? And I was like, sold, you know, (laughs) absolutely. Um, you know, basically my point, the the, the point I'm trying to get uh, across to you is, you know, how wonderful it is to have creative uh you know editors who have a lot of ideas and are willing to to take chances on on animation writers <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you know let's you brought up animation so let's go there you know um you've worked in animation for quite some time now but this is you know you're relatively new to comics what's been yeah. the biggest transition for you in in scripting you know an animated half hour adventure or a feature-length you know animated film ver- to go into a 20-page floppy comic
1: I mean, we could sit here all day and I could tell you about all the things I didn't know when I sat down to write my first book last year, a year, less than a year ago, and all the things I still don't think I know. (laughs) And um, it is, um, it's a whole different world. I mean, you come from, I come from television and movies and I feel like, oh yeah, I know visual storytelling. I, I know what to do, but no, it's what, you know what I wasn't prepared for? I was not, and this is as a lifelong comic book fan and reader, I was not prepared for the capacity of the artists, comic book artists, to convey not just emotion and acting in such amazing ways that we don't always get in in animation sometimes because of the nature of how the process works. Sometimes we have to sort of cheat around Facial expressions and things like that—you don't, you can't always get it. And um, but I just couldn't believe the capacity uh, of these comic book artists, and and the the <laughs> maybe I've just been really lucky, but the speed at which somebody like Rafa Sandoval turns something around—that is exactly what was in my head, and, and and it's just a moment of emotion on a character's face—is is it just blew my mind? Um, it still blows my mind. Um, And and the other part of that is not just emotion, but also kinetic energy, the motion and movement that the artists can bring into the kind of stuff I write. You know, spoiler alert, I tend to be somebody who gravitates toward, like, two people in a room talking and coming to terms with something. And, like, (laughs) these are the, like... To me, comic books are nerd soap operas and I wanna hear those, that dialogue play out and, and I wanna hear people you know, arguing or coming to terms with something. And so it means that sometimes I'm writing pages that are not action-packed. And I can't believe, I just had Rafa just turned in a page uh, for an upcoming Teen Titans book that I think I wrote that like, one, this one character was standing there talking on the phone for like four panels. <laughs> <laughs> which which I'm so embarrassed to admit now that I wrote that and I can't believe what he did with it. He, he made it so it was, it's so, there's so much movement, there's so much energy to it. And, uh, and so it's a real assist. I wasn't prepared, I guess to answer your question for the amount of uh, <laughs> assistance that I would get from the other genius creators that I'm getting to work with who are able to, you know, sand the edges down on some of the stuff that I am doing and make it work, and uh, and that goes for editorial uh, as well. You know, I I I didn't know it was such a team sport, and it is, and and I'm very glad uh, to be part of the team.
0: Uh, one of my favorite things about comics, and you talked about the emotion of it. I think that one of the things that is underrated about the comics experience is that the reader is an essential part in it because of the way sequential art works. We look at panels and our brain creates the in-between, right? And so I'm gonna read a comic a little bit differently than you're gonna read a comic because our brains are going to connect it differently. And I think when a book is firing on all cylinders, it's the closest it's the closest you can get to collaborating on something like music or on a play where everyone on stage is doing something to bring it to life. And so when you're reading a great comic that is scripted well and drum all that, you you are bringing yourself to it and it immerses you in it. And I have to say, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I just before I forget, like, you know, I studied theater in college Mm -hmm. and um, one of the things one of my uh, great professors uh, back in the day taught taught me was that there were these crazy experiments that were done back in, I don't know, the 50s, where um, they they somehow measured some sort of energy that existed between the performers on stage and the audience who was watching them, and that they actually came up with a quantifiable equation for, um, you know, like an actual wow. energy that was existing between them. Now, I don't know if that's a bunch of craziness and bunk, but if you've ever... Performed, or if you've ever created something that is, you know, viewed or read, um, you know, I think, I think when I, that has that has led me throughout my life. The understanding that there, everybody's part of the the thing. It doesn't exist. You know, it's um, it's George Surratt and and pointillism, where mm-hmm. you know the viewer puts together, the eye, the mind puts together what you're seeing from the dots of color that, that exist. It doesn't exist without being viewed. Um, right. and, you know, it can't. And that I think is, is how, you know, the best comics and TV and movies and everything exist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I was bringing that up specifically with this book was I felt like oftentimes there are, there are sequences where, you can intellectually understand what the writer is going for, but it doesn't always translate on the page. And the the scene, and I'm I'm hoping I'm not spoiling anything for the listeners who haven't read the issue yet, but uh there's a scene at a surprise birthday party, and three characters are talking in the background, and they're they're talking kind of as action is going on. And it was this really I I, I actually stopped and took notes on it when I was reading it, just for when I talk about it on my podcast in a few weeks because I felt like it was such a clearly illustrated scene of the, the writing and the art and the coloring, everything coming together to paint this picture. It felt really immersive and it felt really, I felt like I was in the room and I think that's such a rare thing to get in comics nowadays. And so, um, you know, how important for you is it to, it, let me back up one second. It felt like watching a film or a television series where you can – where there's – your eye is drawn to one part of the screen, but there's lots of other stuff happening, but it wasn't distracting. So how important is it for you to bring some of those techniques from TV, from film, into your comics writing? Or do you see them as separate entities?
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. I don't know that I have – that I have made it an intention I think it's just a matter of what I have done. Um it would be very interesting to talk to Rafa uh about this. He and I have never sat down and had this conversation, you know, which I would love to have with him at some point on a panel at some point to say like did I overwrite stuff for you? Like <laughs> I don't, like I'm I'm really I'm used to really describing everything that's happening. And I've I've seen some other scripts from other writers and I, I, I think that I, I worry that sometimes I'm doing too much and, you know, I want to let, and I always tell Rafa, I'm like, you know, throw out what I put in there. If it, if what I put in there inspired you, this is cause this is how we work in, in TV. When I'm, when I'm, I, I, I describe everything in a, in a script for say something like man of tomorrow or reign of the Superman, the movies, I, you know, I, I describe everything. And then I accept that like the storyboard artists are going to go in and maybe they'll, hopefully they'll be inspired by what I wrote and they will create something like that, or even that, you know, or it will just, they'll just go off in another direction and make something even better than I could have ever, uh, you know, come up with. Um, and so I think it just isn't, it's natural. It's just part of my sort of background and training. Now I'm really, I'm so glad that you, that you felt that watching, you know, reading that scene, that scene is, is funny because it's a, there's a, there's a, a flashback to it in future state. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, you know, we knew that we were going to have to bring it in to the series. And then when we started looking at it, we realized that it was going to have to happen in the first issue if we were going to make it all work timing wise. And, um, and I was like, Oh man, I'm just worried that this stuff is not, you know, it feels going to feel like it's a retread. And I'm so glad that it was exciting and new and interesting for you because there's a trick that's happening in that scene. And this is the genius of Rafa, which is um, the the conversation that you're listening to is happening like in the background behind what the kids are doing in the foreground. What the kids are doing in the foreground doesn't seem all that important. The conversation seems more important. (laughs) Um, But then Nightwing comes around and in a very sort of President Bartlett from the West Wing, moment like you realize that he's been watching the whole thing that's been happening in the room and he you know delivers some important information about it and you know if your eye wasn't drawn to it already you would you would have been like wait what's he talking about <laughs> you know so exactly Rafa put, put the put that sort of background thing in the foreground and then when nightwing talks about it you're You're there, you know what he's talking about, and it was it was just really good staging, and I don't think I told him to do that. you know this is what I mean about these guys are geniuses, you know
0: yeah um I, I do want to talk about future state for a minute because I think that uh of all the future state books, there's probably a handful that really felt like they were leading into something after future state and and your books absolutely felt like you know this is this is bringing this is bringing these characters backwards to walk them to a future that may or may not be what we see in future state, right? So what what, was there ever sort of like a a cognitive dissonance of trying to get the the timelines right and to figure out, okay, this is an idea that works better in the two-issue thing, but that won't necessarily work in the
1: ongoing thing? Like, how did you keep all that straight personally? Okay, so I don't know. Like, opinions may vary, but I feel like I never did. (laughs) <laughs> um, keep it straight like it's look these are the first comics I ever wrote and unfortunately there you know, there was a lot of stuff that we needed there was a lot of ground we needed to cover but also try to make it a satisfying standalone story in some way um, but it was always intended to be a prologue to Teen Titans Academy and that was but it's a very difficult needle to thread because i had never told a story before where the the you know the future is prologue where the ending is what you know or at least an ending is what you get first uh before you get into the beginning and and see how it all plays out so it was it was um, it was tricky in it's in its own right and then when you add in the fact that there were other future state stories and books happening at the same time with same some of the same characters in, in different parts of the timeline um, and to try to make those things all sort of work together, I think we did, I think we did a remarkable job uh, of, of keeping it straight I, I willing to, to, to pat the team on the back for that one because there's no there's no way, there's no reason why it, why that stuff should have made any sort of, you know, linear sense. Um, but I do think when I look back, when I look at that, that story now, I do think I, I, I wish I had done more to prepare readers for the fact that you aren't gonna get any answers. All I'm giving you are big questions that's what I, if there was a way for me to really clarify that from the beginning and say, these are just giant questions that I'm going to explore in teen Titans Academy. You know, that's what I think I would have told everyone. And I, you know, otherwise it was, it was disorienting, I think for people. And sure. I get that. I mean, totally, you know, and um, but, you know, I'm new, so hopefully people will forgive me and they'll jump in on teen Titans Academy and they'll realize that this is a, a more normal way to tell a story than, than, than what I tried to do with future. Day. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, we have to talk about Red X, and I have to admit, I, I am, I am at the age where that character doesn't mean much to me. I was too old to be watching. To, I, I was like in high school or college when the when the when the Teen Titans cartoon came out. And oh yeah, that's was,
1: too old for the Teen Titans cartoon.
0: No, no, no. What I meant I didn't have co- I didn't have, I didn't have cable in, car- in in that time of my life. So you know, <laughs> you you want to give a poor college student cable? Go right ahead, man. But that was that was not that was not my experience. Um. You know, but uh, and then my kids are too young to have watched those cartoons. They're watching Titans go. They haven't watched the Teen no. Titans cartoons yet. So the character, I mean, I'm, I was familiar with it, but it's not a, like a touchstone character for me. But there are lots of people on, on my staff who when they heard about Red X, it, like it blew their minds. It was this huge, important thing for them. And so how difficult is it to bring a beloved, interesting, mysterious character into a new medium And did you feel, do you feel pressure to, do you feel different pressure with Red X than you do
1: with the other characters in the book? Uh, This is a, oh my gosh, this is such a good question. First of all, it's, you know, it's kind of the the absolute dream for me because I feel like getting to bring a character from animation who, you know, came from, uh, you know, the, the, the brains and pens of, of people that I have worked with and have great respect for. And, and to get to help bring that character into the main DC continuity, you know, it's a dream come true. I, I just, I'm so glad that I get to do it. And I'm so, I, I would be so worried, you know, if, um if anybody else was doing it, I just want to make sure that it's, you know, that he's treated with that. This character is treated with, um you know, a certain, uh, uh, sort of uh, respect. Um, you know, there's a legacy to Red X. Red X is, is a tough one because you know there's there are there were two Red X's on the show. You know, Dick Grayson was the first Red X, and we learned that in the first episode. It was a, a just a disguise he was using, and then but then Red X comes back, and and it's a, a a different character and a character whose identity is not revealed to us. And to me, that is is part of what is so exciting about that character and always was what's so exciting. So um, if someone had come in and said, Oh yeah, well, we're just going to tell you in the first issue, you know, it's, it's so-and-so and and they put on the red X costume or, or or they're the old red X or whatever, um, you know, and then we'll tell a story about them that to me, that would not honor the legacy of that character. The legacy of that character is who is red X you know, why, and why, why are they red X too? And, and those two things to me are one and the same. And, uh, and so I wanted to make sure that at least coming out the gate, that that was the way that we approached his story, um, you know, by keeping and preserving that legacy, whether, you know, even in the first episode with Dick Grayson, you're thinking, who is red X, you know? <laughs> yeah. You get an answer right at the end, but, that's just part of the DNA of the character. So I think, you know, I noticed there, there were some people who, in future state who were like, you know, well, they didn't, he didn't even tell us who Red X was. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, just buckle, Strap buckle in. up. You know, it's, yeah. it's a story. Like, you know, it's a story. We're we're going to, I'm going to bring you, you know, to, to the end of the road on this, on this story. I mean, you may not like what I, what I throw out there and, you know, or you may love it and uh, you know, but uh, I just hope that it's fun enough that people will, will come along for the ride and, and enjoy the mystery, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, just um, to say that, uh, you know, again, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I came in with. I didn't say I got to get Red X in this book. You know, when we, it came up that we might be able to, to use Red X and you know, that was when I, you know, when, when you start te- giving me the possibilities is when I start coming at you with some ideas. Like, Here's what I want to do. Here's what I would do. Uh, and happily, everybody got on board with where, where I wanted to go.
0: Uh, so I wish we had a ton more time, but we're running out of time here. So my last question is, you, know, you you brought in a bunch of new characters. First of all, Gorilla Greg is like an A-plus name. Congratulations on Gorilla Greg. Love that. Um, and you brought, you you have another, you know, a relatively large cast of Already known characters in there. Is there a character that, I mean, my favorite character, maybe in all of com- number two character in comics, is uh, Captain Marvel Shazam. I love that character so much. So I'm very glad to see Billy Batson as part of the book. But is there a character that you want to tell people, keep your eye out for this person? Because this story, man, this is the one you want to really keep your eye on.
1: I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> How do I answer this question? Because first of all, they're all my kids, you know, and right. I, like I can't, it's hard for me to, to pick one over the others, but um, let me preface it by saying it is the hardest thing in the world because there are so many great characters and I want everybody to have their big moment and to get a lot of attention, but there's only so much space. There's only so much real estate. And so, you know, it. you have to sort of look at the whole picture. Like you may not, get everything you want to know about Gorilla Greg in the first issue or the second issue, but you know, you just, it's all part of the story. We're, we're getting there. I, I love Gorilla Greg, um, but I think, I think everybody, I, I just from some of the internal reactions that I've seen so far, I think everybody should keep their eye on Stitch. Stitch is a sort of a sleeper character who has sort of established their voice um, very quickly. <laughs> uh and um, the apple the apple scene with with, with stitch. yeah yeah right i mean yeah. you know there's there's a there's a it's a tough thing to sort of economically get you to learn about who these characters are right out the gate when we don't have a lot of space and a lot of time to do it and i think stitch more than anyone has been really good about in issue one and issue two uh in, in issue two you know the ball moves even even more with stitch where you're like oh there okay there's there's more here there's more to this character um a fun really fun character i'm having a great time writing and so you know we're it's fun as the, as you do that you start looking at some of the projects coming down the line and um you know the characters who are really popping for everybody internally sort of get to get to rise a little bit more and we get to have a little more fun with them later on so it'll be you know i'd i'd keep my eye on stitch having said that i'd keep my eye on the backpack too they they are really deep in the background for a while but keep your eye on those kids cuz they are um, they've got they've some important stuff to do